Deep pattern downfield, touchdown Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. What is up, Dolphins fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I know it's not great. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, a fourth straight loss drops Miami to 1-4 and four on the season. This time to the defending world champion Buccaneers. We'll unpack it in its entirety with the takeaways, the individual performances, and we're going to play some audio from the post-game show with me, Seth Levitt, and OJ McDuffie of the Fish Tank Podcast. I thought we had one of our best shows on Sunday after this game. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. We're going to do the five takeaways here real quick, but first I want to uh, focus on a couple of storylines I was looking at heading into this game. Number one, would there be a shakeup along the offensive line? And the answer to that was yes. And I'm very excited to get to the All-22 and break down the performance of the offensive line in this game because initially I thought it was one of their better games as a unit, as a whole, but we'll let the, the tape speak for itself on that with Austin Jackson moving from left tackle to left guard, Liam Eichenberg going back to left tackle where he played in the season opener, and then Jesse Davis over at right tackle with Greg Mant and Robert Hunt at their same positions as last week at center and right guard, respectively. was also curious to get a look at the pass rush for the Dolphins team, especially when they went to a four-man rush. Can you turn over Brady? Can you hit Brady? Can you move Brady? I don't believe that went the way any of us hoped it would in this game. And then also, would you find a big play on teams, on special teams in that regard? That also did not happen. So just a couple of things to point out there that I thought Miami had a chance to kind of make some headway in those departments, and it didn't go that way. And we lead this off with the takeaways from this game. The Dolphins fall 45-17 to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the first takeaway is, what the heck is wrong with the defense? And let's actually play some audio here from Brian Flores and let him take us there first before I talk about it. No, I'm concerned. I mean, like we're out of sync, you know, in a lot of a lot of ways. Um, run defense, pass defense, pass rush. Um, you know, we're just we're just you know a little bit a step behind, I would say. So, um, you know, we got to make a lot of corrections. Uh, you know, a lot of things we've got to uh, address, and you know, we'll do that. I and mean, we've been doing that. Uh, we've addressed some things, but we're not we're not seeing the production on on Sundays. And really, that's all that matters. So, um, but yeah, I would say we're, we're a little bit out of sync. Out of sync and a step behind there, says Coach Flores. And the Dolphins are being outscored this season, 154 to 79. Opposing offenses are averaging around 442 yards per game. And our offense, just five, uh, 245 per game, almost double the output when you look at the last four games of the season when things kind of went off the rails. 442 yards to Miami's 245 yards per game. Last and third down defense. The takeaway streak is no more. No turnovers in this game. Miami lost the turnover battle 2-0 to zero to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then you hear Brian Flores talk about his concern there with the fact that the defense is out of sync and a step behind and the practice work all week long is not translating to Sundays. Just thinking about this out loud here is Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, who both were on the injury report this week and suited up and played and good on them for getting themselves out there and ready to play. But it wasn't good for either of those guys in this game. And this Tampa Bay receiving core is absolutely loaded. And that's another point we're going to get to here later on the takeaways. But those guys didn't have their best game. The linebackers getting stuck on blocks, getting beaten coverage on running backs or tight ends or whoever the heck it was. The 
inability to get pressure on Brady, whatever the reason was, where we aren't seeing the amoeba defense or as much zero blitz or all the stuff that really helped this defense produce at a high level last year. Players, coaches, guys that you relied upon in the past, like an Eric Rowe, who had such a good two-year run here with the Miami Dolphins, has now hit a speed bump here in a couple of games this year where he hasn't been the exact same that he was a season ago. And that kind of brings me into the point about the defensive backs in general, not to pick on Eric Rowe, but that's where your biggest resource allocation is. And look at what the Bucks were able to do to you in the passing game. I mean, Xavier Howard gets a, a pay raise after an all-pro season. Byron Jones is one of the highest paid cornerbacks in the league coming over in free agency after a five-year run with the Dallas Cowboys, where he's fantastic for the Dallas Cowboys. You have Eric Rowe on a contract extension. Brandon Jones, a third-round draft pick. Javon Holland, a second-round draft pick. Noah Igbenogany, a first-round draft pick. Justin Coleman, a free agent. Jason McCourty, a free agent. Like That's where a lot of the resources have been allocated to. And if that's the class of your roster and the way this thing is designed, and this is what happens, I mean, where do you go from there with it? They're going to have to do some real soul-searching and find out what the identity of this football team is because last year it was pressure defense, take the football away and put your foot on the throat of the opponent defensively. And that by in part helps both the special teams and the offense. But what is it that you're doing well right now? Because you're, you know, perceived air quotes, best unit on the football team, giving up 45 points to this offense, which is a great one. It's just not the way to go. And you look at the last three times this defense, and I know last year wasn't this year's defense, but Buffalo this year, 35-0. Buffalo last year, 56-26. Now Tampa Bay, 45-17. It's just not a good look for that defensive secondary. They're going to have to find a way to play better and be competitive against these top-level teams and organizations because under Brian Flores through two years, that this just didn't happen to the Miami Dolphins. We were used to it before he got here with big-time opponents on primetime games or otherwise putting up a lopsided score on the Miami Dolphins, and that just wasn't the case and I don't think any of us expected that this season. And right now it's happening. So you got to figure it out and get the solution quick because this just cannot continue. Takeaway number two, I mean, just shoot this moon to the season. This shoot this season into the sun as far as you possibly can because the first five games have been about as bad as you could have drawn it up. If the Dolphins don't get that win in New England, that of course would be worse. But the general takeaway is a continuation here of the first takeaway. Your two games this season against what I would consider to be the class of the league. I think Tampa Bay is the best team in the NFC, and I think Buffalo is the best team in the AFC. And of course, you didn't have your quarterback for all but two possessions of that two contest, you know, continuation of those two games, the aggregate of those two games. And you lost those games by a combined 80 to 17. I mean, that's just, that's a tough pill to swallow. And, you know, 442 yards per game to 245 yards per game. We saw some not great body language in that second half. We saw Jalen Waddell drop a pass that led to a pick. Kobe Brissett had some more misses after what was a very strong start for him in this game. Talk about the secondary having their struggles. Nick Needham fell down on a route and didn't see the ball going right behind him and kind of jogged after the play. That's after Xavier Howard got beat in the slot where the Bucks were able to dictate their matchup by moving Antonio Brown, who... X was traveling on across the formation and create favorable matchups for themselves. And that just hasn't happening on the other side of the ball. Jerome Baker having, you know, not his best game in coverage against Gio Bernard or out wide on some stretch runs in the areas of the game where speed and reactiveness and, and quickness, the, the hallmarks to his game, it's not there for him right now either. So I just look at so many things like Brian Flores mentioned, out of sync, out of sorts. It's just so many things that are contributing to this 
this effort that's just not good enough right now, and it's why you, you fall behind 558 yards to 301 yards in the offense. It's why your third downs are 8 for 11 for Tampa Bay, 2 for 7 for Miami. It's why your time of possession is 3707 to 2253. It's why your offense has 310 yards, 203 yards, 200, or 330 yards, 216 yards, 259 yards. How do they pull this together? That's the question. And that takeaway takes us into our third takeaway. And Jacoby Brissett alluded to this in his post-game press conference that he believes that they are building offensively. And Brian Flores mentions it in his press conference as well. I won't play the audio for you guys, but they both said they're showing, you know, some progress in terms of building offensively. I thought we all we all can agree we saw that. Shoot, this was the second highest yardage output for the Dolphins this season. And the majority of that came early in the game when they were competitive, including an 87-yard drive to pull within one score. And you get a third and 10 from the defense to possibly get a stop and get the ball back and get the ball back to your offense. That would have been fun to see how the offense responded and built momentum. But again, complimentary football is just not there. But the third takeaway is signs of life for the offense but they and the entire team need a complimentary effort because it just has not happened one single time this year. Hasn't happened one time. But back to the signs of life, offensive line shuffle. I thought Austin Jackson, and I talked about this, I thought he had traits that could excel at the left guard position. There were certain traits that you might worry about, and one of those is the sand in the pants, especially against a pass rusher like Avita Vea. But Vita Vea didn't wreck this game. I thought Austin Jackson played well in, the area, in that area. I also saw him put some bodies on the ground. And Liam Eikenberg, I thought, was better at left tackle. And just the offensive line in general, I agree with Brian Flores' assessment. Initially, I thought it was okay, but I have to go back and look at the tape to get a better idea of it. But if that offensive line can continue to build off of that, and this is maybe, you know, if they get better every week, if this is the worst we see them, that could be a good sign of life going forward. How about the, I mean, just real quick to finish that point, the Bucks got after them in the second half, and that's where the complementary component comes into this, right? Because these units have to help each other out because one side is just carrying way too much of the load all season long because the Bucks can now pin their ears back and rush the passer and play against a one-dimensional offense, which their run defense kind of does that for them. But if you can stay more, you know, balanced and not have to be so aggressive when the scoreboard's more in your favor then the offense can get to their full complement that way and just be more creative and more flexible. And the Dolphins just have killed themselves this year with not being able to stay complimentary, whether it's the offense not helping the defense, vice versa, and how special teams mix into that. All those things are not coming together. But back to the things I liked, I liked early on some of the play calls and really the course of the game for the sequencing of the offense. They ran the Bucks out of some zones and took some of the short stuff to get themselves into manageable situations, to create shot plays, to stay on schedule, to give yourself the opportunity to get those shot plays. I like the way they involved the backs in the passing game. Miles Gaskin had a a game high for Miami here, 10 targets, and it was the most catches ever by a Dolphins running back because he caught all 10 of them for 74 yards and two touchdowns. So good on them for a team that loves to blitz so aggressively and come after the quarterback and really at times, you know, blitz the running back in a way that forces him to stay in pass protection for Miami to go after that, you know, there's always a vulnerability when you commit guys in the blitz. That was the vulnerability, and they found Miles Gaskin successfully throughout the course of this game, especially on that second touchdown pass against that Bucks blitz, where they just sent him to where the blitzers vacated, took advantage of that vacated space, and he has choose taking the blitz pickup and gets out into the route, and the ball almost missed him short, but he catches it, gets into the end zone. I liked that with a sequence of the other Gaskin touchdown pass, the wheel route that goes based upon what we talked about earlier with chasing the Bucks out of some of that zone coverage. And you see 
Richard Sherman's going to play that zone turn, get his butt to the sideline and eye the quarterback and play it the entire way. You take enough underneath stuff and maybe you push him off with a, a takeoff route or a post route or a corner route. And then you run the running back wheel route in behind that. And if that linebacker jumps the flat route, then you have a wide open pass down the field. And that's exactly what happened with Miles Gaskin on that big touchdown in the vacated zone. So I thought that was a good design and some good sequencing there. And then finally, just the fact that we saw guys catching the ball on the move on the Miles Gaskin touchdown run. Some of the crossing routes of these guys that made big plays after the catch. We saw Waddle do it once again in this game. We saw Waddle draw a pass interference call because what does he do? He creates conflict for the defense and conflict can create panic and panic can create grabbing. And we saw plenty of that, especially on a third and one play later in the game where you get the defense into an aggressive look that wants to come after your offense on that third and short because they want to sell out and stop the run, right? They want to sell out and stop the possible under route or the flat route or the quick hookup or the stuff that they think you're going to run to just move the chains. That sometimes creates an opportunity for your best shot plays in the entire game because they're vulnerable in that area because they don't believe you're going to accept the risk that goes with going deep down the field that could put you in a fourth down situation if you don't execute. But that can oftentimes be the best opportunity to get some big plays. And Miami throws a third and one pass into the end zone from the 17-yard line. Pass interference. A couple plays later, you're in the end zone for a touchdown. So I like that look there. And I also found it interesting to finish this point here in the third takeaway. When Jacoby was asked post-game about the uh, a comment mentioned on the CBS broadcast from Tony Romo, about how he said they streamlined the play calling this week with George Godsey relaying the play into Jacoby Brissett's helmet, which would, of course, bypass Charlie Fry, who used to get the call and then take it into the quarterback. And Brissett confirmed that and said that it was because they were hoping or wanted to get some more pre-snap motion, which took some more time and gave them less time to make that relay and communication. So the positives of that to me... Motion's great because it gives you pre-snap indicators. It gives you a brochure of what the defense might be doing or how they might adjust to your movement. It gives you an opportunity to see how they react, whether a certain guy is blitzing, whether a safety rolls to show you the coverage, or he caps a defensive back to show that defensive back is going to come on the blitz. And it creates more chances for busts because the more motion can create more communication to pass off. Okay, you're going with him over there. I got this guy. We're going to you're going to take first man at the point. You're taking the inside man. Like we're going to go we're going to banjo this thing. Whatever the case may be, they have to communicate motion so it creates more chances for bust. Now the con I like the fact that Charlie Fry can take things that he sees or perceives and gives it to the quarterback there at the last minute before the play call. That's certainly a pro and both items do have their pros to them. I'll be curious to see if Miami goes back to that way or continues it this way, or if it's a combination of the two based upon their opponent. But I thought that was very interesting. And the more motion we saw, I thought the Dolphins' best offensive production this season. Is that a direct correlation? Probably not, but there's probably something there as well. Our next takeaway, and these are going to be quick here. Number four, the punting game. Like, what the hell was that? 38 and a half yards average punt. That's lower than some teams' gross average right now. I mean, small potatoes in a game and a season that's been full of despair so far. But that's on my radar. Those punts were going straight up in the air and not covering much distance. And special teams just was a calling card, and right now it hasn't been. Number five, and I know you don't want to hear this, but there is still time left in this season. And nothing has changed that was out there before this game. This was always going to be a tough team to beat on the road in their house. But now you're in the position that you're in. It's time to figure out how to crawl the hell out of this thing because Jags, Falcons, Bills, Texans, Ravens, Jets, Panthers, Giants, Saints, Titans, Patriots. That's what's ahead of you before another long offseason, which we all despise as football fans, right? I want football here all the time, even when the Dolphins aren't playing well. I love this time of year way more than any other time of year because you basically have entertainment every single night. It's the best. 
and it starts next week for the Miami Dolphins in London against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Get that damn win, man. Get that damn win. And I only noted two individuals here in the individual portion of the podcast, and then we'll get to more of that in the All-22 podcast tomorrow for you guys. But I just put down Miles Gaskin and Mike Gesicki and also Jacoby Brissett. But Gaskin, for the way he caught the ball and ran with it afterwards, I, I continue to believe that's his best trait, almost in that James White mold. And Mike Gesicki just finding ways to create space off leverage and, and catching passes and generating mismatches. He caught a third down pass against Joe Tryon Shioika, the defensive end uh, out of UW that's having a fantastic year. Defensive end slash outside linebacker. If you find him in coverage on Mike Gesicki, that's a matchup you like. Nothing against Joe because I think he's going to be a possible deep defensive rookie of the year, but that's just not a good matchup for him. And I like the way that Gaskin, or rather Mike Gesicki, was able to approach that. And then Jacoby had some good moments as well in this game. Uh, I would like to see him hit the pass to Waddle, even though it was a pick play called on Mike. I just you got to hit those types of throws. And good on him for fighting through the hamstring. That was a real, real veteran, real you know professional move there from Jacoby to fight through a hamstring injury and be out there for his teammates. All right, I loved our first two post-game show segments today, so I'm going to go ahead and play those for you guys. On the other side, a reminder, tomorrow's podcast, All 22 Review. It's my favorite one that I do every single week. Come back here and check it out with us. We'll have more for you guys on this game, and we'll begin to turn the page and look forward to Jacksonville and maybe the return of quarterback Tua Tungabailoa. We'll have that covered for you guys all week long here on the Drive Time Podcast. In the meantime, Caroline Daddy is coming home. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. You can follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and OJ, who you're going to hear from here in just one second. Check out our YouTube channel for all the media availabilities, video content, and Dolphins Today with yours truly, as well as Joanna Torres. And, of course, MiamiDolphins.com. We'll have the three keys written piece up there, and we'll go ahead and spin it forward this week and get top news, the blitz, all that good stuff up on MiamiDolphins.com. Stay tuned. Post for a post show here for the post game show. Until next time, Finza. What's up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Miami Dolphins fifth quarter show here on the Miami Dolphins radio network. I am Travis Winkfield. I am joined by Seth Levitt and OJ McDuffie, and it's four straight losses now for your Miami Dolphins. And Juice, that season-opening win sure feels like a decade ago, doesn't it? Uh, it was a decade ago, wasn't it? I mean, it seemed like, uh, I mean, man, you had a good feeling, man, coming off of that one with a win, no matter how ugly it was, you know. But at the same time, though, man, you, it, it, was a, it was a long time ago. And then, when you know, when you start compiling losses, you know, it seems like it's even further away, man. So I, I'm just... You know, another tough one today, man. Another tough one as we experienced last week and the last four weeks, you know, as Dolph fans and as, you know, as we come in the studio to try to do a show. Um, but, you know, that, that, that one win, I, was it this year? <laughs> it Was it this year? I'm not even sure. It, it was about a month ago as we move into mid-October here and the Dolphins will head to London next week at 1-4 and four to face the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I know last week, Seth, you joked a little bit about maybe turning the yeah, page Can we to talk Tampa about Bay. London already? Or we have to wait for where, the second Where you come on that, Juice? What do you think? Should we go hey, man, I'm on the London already, man. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Hold on. You Flipping didn't just lose your stinger, did you, Juice? <laughs> oh, my God. You were God. not happy about me doing that. I had Joe Rose and JT told me they were going to call into the show last week yeah. because I was ready to move on, and now you're 
you're ready to turn. Well, the you know, if I talk about this game, Seth, I think I was this close. If you can, you know, to getting fired last week. If yeah. I start talking about this game, like I started talking well, about Jason last Jenkins week's game, will not be walking in the studio this time. Man, yeah, he's still in Tampa. Yeah, uh, <laughs> thank goodness. But um, yeah, man, I, I, you know, we have to talk about this, obviously, man. But I, I don't know where to even start, Travis. I'm glad you're driving this show because, you know, the, the, the. I know where I will start. The bad start, the bad game, the I mean, great start, and then the rest of this game was just so frustrating, man. You know, and as a fan, I, I sat here and, look, I have zero notes. I had really nothing it's to empty, really write down about. You know what I mean? I just I was trying to watch and absorb and, and listen, but I'm going to tell you, man, this, each week is getting more and more frustrating. It, it does take a toll on you at some point. It just as, as radio hosts and as fans of this team and people that care about this team, and I'll come back to you, Juice, here in a little bit to talk about how that might be for the players in terms of, you know, they, they talked about on the on the postgame show there a little bit right afterwards there with, with JT and the boys, just about the confidence of the team after four straight losses and where you go from here. But I'll get to that in a second because, Seth, you had a point. I want to go to you here real quick, my man. Well, what I'm most disappointed by, and that was the word they used, right, Joe, Jimmy, and JT, they talk, they talk about being disappointed because I think the expectations were a lot higher for this team. We knew it was a tough schedule to start. Uh, I don't think one and four is what anybody expected, certainly what, what isn't what anybody wanted. But the defense, fellas, the defense is what that, – that's our moneymaker. It was yeah. supposed to be. We just talked about this. If you look at the last four games, let's talk about the, 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 the losing streak, four straight losses, they're giving up 34.5 points a game. It's crazy. You can't – if your offense is fire, you're going to struggle giving up 34.5 points a game. How in the world are you going to survive with this offense, with, a, with an offensive line that had been struggling, which I did think stepped up their game today, and we'll talk about that, with the number two quarterback, regardless of what Jacoby wants to say, who, again, valiant effort by Jacoby, fought through injury. I thought he kept fighting to the bitter end there. But how in the world can you give up 34.5 points per game? I don't care who's on the other side. Right. Right. And I, I tell you, what you look at, Seth, is, you know, imagine this. You know, we're up 10-7 to 7 in the first. Then we give up 17 unanswered in the second. The second quarter, we have been abysmal all year. All year awful. All year what, awful. What do you do to fix that? That's a, that's a great question, man, because, you know, usually it's a halftime adjustment that you make. But look at these great teams. When you got a great team with Tom Brady, uh, Bruce Arians, Byron Lethwich, you know, they see what we're doing in that first quarter, you know, and make, a, you know, their adjustments. But we don't seem to be doing the same thing. And uh, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty sad considering the offense played pretty well in that first quarter. And then the defense went out there. You know, and just continue to lay an egg, um, dropping, giving up forty-five points in this in this league over almost five hundred and sixty yards total offense. It's unheard of. And that's man. not supposed you, to happen. It's in unheard this of in this league. Do man. you? I mean, I, I'm not going to spin thing spin it positive here, but do you give them any credit for starting games that fast? What happens? What changes in the first part, the first quarter of the game when Miami comes out like a house on fire and goes up fourteen zip on the Raiders, comes out here and gets on top of the defending world champion Buccaneers, and you know earlier in the season as well, and now you come around the second quarter and things just start to avalanche. Is it? Is it good coaching early on with bad adjustments? Is what's what plays into that juice? Yeah, well, you know, most teams don't know what you're going to come with at the beginning, which is normal. And so you might get some. Each team should probably score on their first drive, or at least you know within their first couple drives, because then you know great teams make adjustments. All right, here's what they're doing now. Now we just make the adjustment. You're trying to get the ball to water, trying to run miles, whatever we're trying to do. And so both teams should have that. But when you look at a team, I mean, honestly, let's look at Tampa and, and break them down. And when you look at a team that has that many weapons, that many playmakers, how do you game plan that? Who, who do you take away? I, I heard in the pregame show, I heard uh, Dono and um, 
and uh, Channing talk about it. You know, we've got two great cover corners, which, which by the way, one of them did not did not have the best game today. Neither, Neither really one of them did really. I mean, all the all the receivers had a had a hell of a day. It seemed like, but when you got you know when you got Antonio Brown and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin out there, pick your poison on who you're gonna try to take away. You know, I think we're we man. Nobody though, Drew. I think well, I think we're in man at first, and then I think towards the end we even tried zone. That you know, you can't play Tom Brady with those guys in zone. No, you know, no Gronk today, and they didn't. They didn't care. They, I don't think they even targeted a tight end the whole game. Which Howard had a couple, maybe. You know, so it just tells you. And, and Fournette was a grown man, you know, dragging us down. Sure the field. So there's a lot of things that you know when that you look at that Tampa offense. I mean, they're back in stride like they were. You know, when they went on that run towards the end of last year. I would just like to see us, and you, you said it best, and you was talking about what JT and we're talking about. Seth, you said it in the middle of, I think, the third quarter maybe. The body language is just yeah. awful. Yeah, that they was tough. They were defeated way early, you know, and that, that's, that's tough to watch. Really disappointing. Especially when you got your leaders being that way. And man. on both sides of the ball. 1,000%. All around. There's, there's not a whole lot to take away from this that you look at positively going forward into next week. And I guess the, the idea that Tua could be back in return for that game, but there's a whole other myriad of issues that has to get ironed out by that point. Because, OJ, you talk about the fact that pick your poison with these receivers, but isn't that almost an indictment of the entire program? Because all your money and your draft picks, at least the majority of them, have gone into that defensive secondary. Yeah. So if you want to build a defense and a team for the modern era of the National Football League that has to slow down these 30-point-per-game juggernauts like a Kansas City or a Buffalo or a Tampa Bay, you're going to have to compete with those kind of guys if you want to get to where you ultimately want to go. And what more can you do besides extending your all-pro cornerback, giving a big free agent contract to Byron Jones, who was all-pro level his first five years in Dallas, spending two draft picks on safeties and Javon Holland and Brandon Jones. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. First-round draft pick on Noah Igbenogany, and you trot this out there against Buffalo and Tampa Bay this year, which I think, to me, is the class of the Dolphins' schedule this year and really the class, class of the league, of the league. Yeah. with both yeah. those squads. You're talking about an 80-17 to 17 point, an 80-17 to 17 deficit for Miami. I mean, you're nowhere close to these top-level teams, and I just it makes me question, where do you go from here? Because wh- where's the upside? Where's the turnaround? Right. Right, you know, and that's all you measure. You, you really start, you, you measure yourself, first of all, first against Buffalo within your, within in your, your division. division. right? You know, that's what you usually draft against. You know, you go get the DBs you need if they have a nice running attack, I mean, pass attack. You know, guys up front to stop the run, guys that can actually spy a guy like Josh Allen. You know, and then you'll figure out, you know, how to beat the Tampa Bays later. But the way we match up, which we don't very well, it seems like, with people, is it's, it's, it's frustrating. So going from here, I think a lot of guys, you know, I think a lot of guys – it's weird when the team's not playing well. Some guys look at in the mirror and say, I played well today, and other guys will not. I think, once again, like we talked about last week, everybody should look in the mirror and say, we didn't, none of us played well. Again, even Miles Gaskin, who's going to be out there working hard again, had a heck of a game, you know, and he might, he could probably sit there and toot his own horn a little bit. But as a team, as a whole, you know, there's, there was nothing impressive again today, you know? I mean, it was. I mean, it's, it's almost like Groundhog Day from last week, definitely for the Buffalo game. Yeah, it certainly was. It, it's, I mean, not for a lack of trying. We did see an offensive line shakeup. I thought early on, Juice, there was something to the fact that we talked about this last couple of weeks, right? We wanted to see more vertical routes out of the offense in terms of getting guys running upfield or on crossing routes opposed to always coming back to the quarterback. And that was how the offense was successful there early on. The, the wheel route to Miles Gaskin, I thought, was a brilliant mm-hmm. call to get a big touchdown there and, and one of two touchdown passes to Miles Gaskin. But just... Other than that, Seth, I mean, we talk about the offensive line shakeup. I guess it, it got a little bit better, and the offense had more success. I mean, I'm going to say it got a lot today. better. I, I really am going to say that. And I know that maybe it's not reflected in 17 points or what have you, 
But for the last two weeks, I did not think they lined up and looked like an NFL football Correct. team on that offensive front. Okay? I mean, you know, how Jacoby Brissett made, made it through the three weeks that he did and unscathed and really, you know, just a pulled hamstring, if you think about what happened today. Those guys got up there and they held their own against uh, all I heard. I listened to Drive Time. I listened to every other media member down here. All you heard about was how the Bucks had one of the best front sevens in the entire National Football League and that they were beat up in the secondary. The offensive line held up okay. I agree. They, there, there was some pressure. They gave up a few sacks. Really interesting that you flip-flop Eichenberg and Jackson, and they look like different players. Yes, there were some misses. It's going to be real easy for the guys on Twitter to go ahead and throw <laughs> up the one, you know, somebody yeah. whiffs. That's going to happen when you're playing guys who are really good football players. But I think overall they did enough to give this offense an opportunity to be effective, and we saw that early on. I don't know what happened later in the game. Maybe the hamstring started catching up to him, Drew. Some of those throws were getting more and more off target. Yeah. And the biggest thing that we all talked about, we thought we were going to see more of it today, although Devontae Parker being down, very Doesn't disappointing, help. does <laughs> not, not help, help at all. I, I, I don't even want to get into that yet. But with the guys that were there, I just didn't see them go down the field enough. And when they did, they didn't seem to hit them. Yes, there were more explosive plays. Yes, we had some 10, 15, 20 yarders. But when you see a team throwing 40, 50-yard passes over and over and over again, I'm not saying we have Tom Brady back there, but you got to take more shots down the field, don't you? You talk about the well, – well, let's come back and talk about that here in just a second because you talk about the offensive line, you know, having kind of a – a worse second part of the game, you wonder how much of that comes into, you know, the defense pinning their ears back when they get that big lead because mm-hmm. you can't be one-dimensional against a defense like that. And Brian Flores talks about playing complimentary football all the time. Defense has to help the offense out. Offense hasn't been helping the defense out today. They flipped that script, so just cannot find a way to get all three phases going at the same time. 45-17 is your final. And now, back with you guys again, we move on to segment number two. And so we kind of come off the end of that first segment there talking about this, the conclusion of this game and the defense. And I think it's worth kind of going back in on that side of the football because there was so much that popped up in this game and that has really kind of become a trend at this point. We can talk about the class of the National Football League and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers all we want. But over the last four weeks, it's just not been good enough in that area or really any area for that matter. But over the last over this, this season, Dolphins are pushing up to 35 points allowed per game. And if you include the 16th game of the season last year, you know, Seth kind of mentioned it in the last segment how they were at that number 35 points this year. But going into the last game of the season last year, they were at 18.3 points per game allowed. So almost double the points allowed when you include the Buffalo game last season and the first five games of this season. The defense has just come apart at the seams. And I kind of want to ask you, OJ, what happened there? Because, I mean, I've got so many notes here just talking about you've got veterans that, and I know one game is, is maybe too much to go over, you know, knee-jerk reaction on this stuff, but a really rough game for Jerome Baker, a really difficult game for Xavier and Howard. Eric Rose had a couple of rough games in a row. These are guys that were big-time playmakers a year ago that you counted on and you knew what you were going to get out of them. When those guys start to regress, like, how do you overcome that? Yeah, that's a tough deal. And, you know, when it's what's crazy is how you, when the young guys see your veterans, you know, not having much success, it kind of trickles down a little bit, man. They're like, oh, damn, you know, we're, <laughs> we're in for one today. You <laughs> know what I mean? Now. It's not what they're saying, but that's, you know, that's how I kind of, you know, translate what they're, what they're thinking about. You know, those guys are the ones, especially, too, that you expect not only to go out there and play well, but to prepare the best. You know, the veteran guys are the ones that look at more film a lot of times. They're the ones that, you know, anticipate things happening before they happen, and then you expect them to go out there and make plays. When they're not making plays, when I see them hesitant at times, I saw Bake 
hesitate a few times, which is unlike him. You know, I, I was listening to a little bit on the radio with Channing, and he talked about how prepared a guy like Zach Thomas was all the time. I never really saw Zach hesitate because he knew exactly what was going to happen all the time. So you wonder a lot of times with preparation, you know, whether guys are getting surprised by certain plays or certain things or certain things happening. But for our veteran guys, that's shocking. That's really shocking for me to see our veteran guys go out there and get beat. Our, you know, our, our top paid corners getting beat regularly today. You know, Bake in, in one-on-one with linebackers, I mean, with the running backs getting beat. You know, I mean, that was, that was, that was tough to watch. So I don't know how you, how you get back to the basics. Hopefully, you know, I was, I was joking about, you know, we talked about earlier in the week whether these guys are flying to Tampa or busting up there. <laughs> I made a joke coming in. I said they should walk back and, and you know, and maybe watch the film the whole way back, you know, and, and see if that will help them a little bit. But I'm going to tell you, man, it has to start with our veteran group or somebody. Have we heard of any not, – not I don't want you to bring anything out of the building, Travis. Has there been any player-only meetings? Has the players actually gotten up there and said anything or talked to these guys? Or Because, honestly – if it's, if it's not in within coaching, it's got to be within the players. But sometimes it seems like it's a lot of both. Because don't you feel like there's enough talent on this team, at least from an outside perspective, that you should be able to get at least a semblance of the production you had a season ago? And we thought we had that in the first game over the Patriots with the 17-16 victory where the New England surely ate up some yardage there, but Miami was able to clamp down and, and get off the field in the red zone in those key areas. But you just feel like that's kind of the strength of the football team, and that's kind of where Brian Flores started building this thing. And I just kind of keep coming back to the question, Seth. Like, right. where do you go from here? Because I think you gave me the number. Was it was it 442 yards allowed per game? Was it over the four-game losing streak? That's since day one. Okay. That, that's since the beginning of the season. The, the 34 and a half points was in the losing streak. Okay. But you, you can't give up 400 yards a game and expect to win, and especially not, again, you're, you know, what are you scoring? This is not a team that has uh, this this firepower on offense, and this is this is a team that's built from the defense first, and it's problematic. You know, again, thirty four and a half points per game, four hundred plus. I didn't even look at what it, what it was. We can do the math here really quickly, but the amount of yards that they're giving up, Juice. And here's the thing: early on, I even heard it on Drive Time with you and John Kinjemi, Travis, where he said, "Is this a situation where the offense is?" Not getting, you know, not converting third downs. Is having too many three and outs. Is the defense on the field too much? The defense was on the field too much today because the defense couldn't stop anybody. Eight for eleven on third downs, Juice. Same story. A lot of points, and you know, th- this cannot be blamed on. The, you got to score more than seventeen points against Tom Brady. I get that, but this cannot be blamed. The defensive performance cannot be blamed on the offense today. Those guys did not step up. I am a huge Xavier Howard fan, and he has been, you know, elite at the beginning of this season. But today, that was not what we're used to seeing from Xavier Howard. Granted, the guy he was playing against is pretty good. Juice, you said it was kind of interesting that he was on AB the entire game. But I, you just need more. I know that Byron Jones was bang, uh, was uh, banged up this week, right? And there was a question as to whether or not he would even go. But, man, you you just can't you can't get up there and let 45 get hung on you. Juice, I want to I want to kind of follow up on that point that Seth makes there about Xavier and Howard on Antonio Brown because last year I I actually had a chance to ask Byron Jones at a press conference, you know, in in, ter- in terms of matching up with certain guys, how do you feel your your traits match up with this guy or you know so on and so forth, and he kind of like put me in my place in a way where he said like I play the right side, X plays the left side, and I I didn't know about that until obviously he told me that. And that was, you know, we talk about 10 on 10 all the time with Sam Madison and, and Pat Sertan and all those guys that were, you know, did a good job back for this defense, you know, decades ago. But um, Xavier Howard gets, 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 gets kicked inside. 
Here we, here we go again. I'm already in my feelings, and now you're just telling us how old we are. Xavier Howard gets kicked inside on the slot because he's traveling with Antonio Brown, and I just, I've never thought that was where X's strength lied. So when you're looking at matchups from a receiver standpoint, and you, you got a guy that you know is going to travel with you, do you start to say, hey, here's where I can get him and, and go after him that way, even when it's an all-pro like Xavier Howard? Does a guy like that have weaknesses where you can attack it that way? Oh, yeah. Just because you can play on the outside doesn't mean you can play in the slot. The slot is a whole different animal, man, and you know, especially guys. You know, when you got a guy with that, that quick, quick twitch like Antonio Brown, you need guys that have the same type of quick twitch. And you look, you notice about about X. X can run with you. He can, he can, he can. You know, he can put his hands on you. When it comes to in short space, where you got, we have to work with some of these guys that are slot receivers. Man, it's it's like right now. And Antonio Brown doesn't get much faster and quicker in the slot oh, than that. He's dang good. You know, and so when you got the other guys on the outside with Godwin and Evans, and you got him in the slot and Brady loves him, you know, that's that's a problem. So what I would have done, no, I'm not gonna go there. What I what they should have done, in my opinion, <laughs> though, was maybe <laughs> use two guys, you know, on, on inside with with Antonio Brown and keep your your main guys that are used to playing on the edge outside. And there was a rep where they did that in the end zone, I think on the first field goal drive they allowed to I think when the Bucks made it 10-10 I believe at one point and they had Holland kind of close down on Godwin in the end zone on a, a they capped him and right. from the slot and I wonder if the Bucks that kind of goes into what we talk about with the adjustments, right? Maybe the Bucks see that and they say, "Well, let's let's not mess with that anymore. Let's let's get their single man coverage because we know the X is traveling." with Antonio Brown. Let's go ahead and move him inside and take that double team outside. Is that something that happens? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, and unfortunately, you know, it didn't look like anything was going to work coverage-wise. I think they were just running routes. It was like seven on seven. And you know what else, Travis, we don't talk a lot about is, is lack of pressure. Yeah, definitely. Lack of, you can't guard anybody as long as we have to. You don't get any it's pressure. It's certainly not Tom Brady. Not You're exactly right. Definitely can't let him sit there and pat the rock, man, and let these guys just run whatever routes they want to run. You know, and expect our guys to be able to hang in there, and that—that's a big problem. It's, it's and it's going to continue to be a big problem. I think we've got a couple of sacks today, but at the same time, and a few hits. But you know, when it was important, when we really needed it, we couldn't get there, couldn't get off the field. You talk about the third down stats, and that's usually when you got to have guys that you know pin their ears back and, and get to quarterbacks, get in their face, make it uncomfortable. Tom Brady was way too calm. I don't even know if his jersey. I mean, it's, his uniform was His hands a little banged up. He That's was icing it, it there That's in the cooler it. at the end. Yeah. No, I, but and you know what? His right shoulders should be a little banged up. Yeah, yeah. I, I think <laughs> he's right. He's feeling fine. Look at the drive chart here, fellas. Touchdown. This is Tampa Bay's drive chart. Touchdown. Field goal. Touchdown. Touchdown. Missed field goal. Punt. There was one. Punt. <laughs> Everybody wanted to know how Waddle was going to return punts. There was one. Touchdown. 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 End of game. You can't win that way. There's no way. Yeah. It, it wasn't even competitive if you look at that. And you know what? Let me take a step back. It was competitive for a minute there. You know, at the end of the second half, we were the, the Dolphins were down two scores, and they're driving. And they're, what, I think they got to the 30-yard line with about a, a minute or, or 45 seconds left. That was when you got hot in here. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we started to feel like maybe the, that, that the team was moving, that, that they were ready to play, that they did what you expected that you rise up, you step up when you're playing the defending Super Bowl champions. And when you're – I don't want to say your season's on the line. I hate all that. Oh, the season's over. Well, it's not mathematically over. But, man, dropping a one and four is a tough pill to swallow. And so you need to bring it from start to finish. And they were driving, had an opportunity to make it a one-score game going into the half. The strip sack doesn't do you any favors. No. But, but they still close it, I think, to a one-score game at one point. But the defense never, never, never answered. 
there's been moments like right. that all season long, it feels like, where you start to feel like they're crawling back into the game. Obviously, Las Vegas, those couple of drives late, we still, the three of us are still upset about the no call on Will Fuller in the end zone. You know, that feels like e- even more. <laughs> it sure does, but two and three would feel a lot different than one and four. It would, it would feel a lot better with QB1 possibly ready to come back off the injury reserve list as well, and you get Raekwon Davis back today, and maybe Devontae Parker's back next week. Who knows about that? You know, maybe you have some some optimism going into that game yeah. overseas into London. Maybe they'll find their rhythm over there. We'll see if that happens. But just two quick points you, that you touched on there, Seth, I want to talk about. You talked about punt returns. Can we talk about punts for a second? Oh. Was it 38-and-a-half-yard average on four punts? I don't think I've ever seen that before. That's that like a gross right. number, isn't it? Isn't that the, your your differential off the return usually? Right. 38-something right. yards? I mean, you've got to do better than that there. And then also, Seth, you talk about pass rush, and we can come back and talk about this because we're almost out of time here on this segment. But just the quarter, the types of quarterbacks the Dolphins were not just beating last year but making look like they didn't belong on the field were these quarterbacks that don't run particularly well. And I know Tom Brady's mobile within the pocket, but – I mean, even the defense back in 2019, it's not, you know, comparable to this season, but that defense had far less high draft picks and free agents and overall technical quote-unquote talent, and they stomped out that Tom Brady-led Patriots offense. I just, I've got so many questions about where to go from here, but we're going to come back and get to more of those. Hopefully Coach Flores has some answers for him here on the other side.